Thank you for listening to another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast, a monthly podcast unpacking stories from the persecuted church that will challenge everything you know about faith, Jesus, and the church. Open Doors Live is hosted by Mike Gore and Jocelyn Gotto, and I'm your producer, Beth Westwood. In today's episode, Mike and Joss talk about one of the great traps of Western Christianity, and with three heart-wrenching stories from the persecuted church, they unpack the ways that we can be courageously ordinary followers of Jesus. Let's get into another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast. My name is Joss Gotto and I'm here in the studio with Mike Gore. Mike, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Yeah? How are you? I'm doing well. I feel like life is slowly starting to feel a lot more normal again. It is. Hey, everyone listening today, I want to say a huge thank you. We're coming into the end of the year and next month we've got a great sort of podcast plan whereby Beth's going to put together a whole list of the best content from people like our conversations with Taya Gork, Roger, uh, Mark Sayers, Darlene Check, Joel Cave. And now these were conversations that I think I held on Instagram. So yeah. so many of you won't have heard the content. And I really encourage you. There's some brilliant um, insights from some of the most influential Christians in our kind of sphere at the moment. And so um, next month it's a podcast to listen to. I, can, I can't stress enough. It's going to be awesome. But um, this is the last one that Joss and I are doing this year. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny because I feel like we just kind of got back and then, you know, but we'll see you in January. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Absolutely. And and look, one of the things I do want to say a massive thank you for, I know it's been a tough year for so many of us. We have wrestled with lockdowns all over the country and for that matter, the world, mm. um, homeschooling, job uncertainty. Mm. Shut borders, all, all of that. All that sort yeah. of stuff, right? Just unbelievable. Another year of real stress. But my hope is that the podcast has really helped people um, find a deeper sense of trust in God, maybe a closeness and proximity to him. And um, and it really is encouraging when we hear stories. I know, Joss, you recently reached out to a photographer. You now have Maggie, this beautiful newborn, to get some family photos. Yeah. And um, of all of the people you reached out to, someone you didn't know but you just found sort of online, yeah. writes back and says, hey, I know you. Yeah, and more than that, she gets all of her youth girls to listen to our podcast. So shout out to you guys. It's awesome to hear those stories of People actually tuning in and allowing these podcasts to help shape their faith and, and their walk with Jesus. So, yeah, thanks so much for listening. Yeah, I think it's amazing and, and it really is a great encouragement to know um, the stories of the persecuted church are shaping and encouraging people that we may never meet in person, mm. um, but we are incredibly thankful for. So from all of us, particularly Joss, myself and Beth, we just want to say a huge thank you for your ongoing support and I hope that today's podcast it is something that is of incredible excitement to you because it's framed up around the three ways to be a courageously ordinary Christian. It sounds sort of like a, an oxymoron or back to front, but I have a sneaking suspicion that it will be something of great encouragement to people. I actually love it because I feel like I stumble over it. Wait, aren't I supposed to be a courageous Christian or something extraordinary? But I love that, yeah, that juxtaposition there and... I think often we do uh, wrestle with how do we live out this faith of ours? How are we supposed to be following Jesus in today's world? What does that look like? And oftentimes I think we can uh, start to believe that it is supposed to be something that is really um, special or really different. And we try and like put our finger on how actually to follow Jesus um, and all these kind of expectations on how to be courageous and extraordinary. Um 
But today we're going to look at how to be courageously ordinary. There's a big kind of push within within Christian culture to become the hero of your faith, mm. right? To become the centerpiece. I mean, the tool, the vessel, the instrument God uses, right? Now, the, the wrestle is, and, and the I guess the tips we're going to share today on being courageously ordinary is it won't make you the hero, but it will make you heroic. But what I mean by that is that heroic is not a center of attention. Heroic is a posture of courage. Mm. It's saying that in the face of rapidly changing freedoms of religion or, or friendship circles or, or church politics, I am going to be authentically, courageously committed to Christ. And I think that is, is a sort of in opposition with culture, which tells you, hey, the best thing you can do as a Christian to show courage is to be in control, is to be the centerpiece, is to be the most influential, the most equipped, the most knowledgeable, the mo- all of these kind of things. Whereas actually, hopefully what we'll find out today and my journey by sharing it with you yeah. from going, I guess, from being that guy to, to learning, unlearning, you know, that, that sort of posture mm. is incredibly healthy and important for us as Christians. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, it does, Mike. And actually, as you were talking, it reminded me of maybe one of your very first trips with the ministry to North Africa. I'm wondering if you can retell that story for us, um, but about kind of that shift in mentality from wanting to be the hero um, to becoming ordinary, but also heroic. To be honest, that is where the journey, it's a Genesis story, it's where the journey of unraveling my my sort of Western identity and faith started. And it was, you're right, it was my very first field trip with Open Doors. It was into North Africa, um, a country that, you know, experiences extreme persecution within that region. And and it was to smuggle Bibles. Now, I remember the night before the trip, I was in uh, London, mm. staying at a friend's house, and we were wrapping these Bibles up. The way, the way that we would um, get the Bibles in country is that you would wrap them into um, piles of sort of eight to ten and you would put Christmas wrapping or birthday wrapping around them. Right. So they look like gifts. A gift, yeah. Yeah. And now what I'd do is I'd lay these parcels within my luggage. And to be honest, I remember, you know, my, being my first trip and being very new to the organization. I looked at them laid out in a grid pattern in my suitcase thinking, man, these just look like drugs. I mean, they're literally. <laughs> Forget wrapped. about Bibles. Right. I'm just going to go for drugs. Like, I'm like, oh my goodness oh, right man. what am i doing this is bonkers yeah, yeah. right they literally are laid out in cubes flat across the top of my suitcase and sort of I, I sort of wrapped it up and then jumped on the plane the next day and we're heading into north africa um it was a solo trip i was by myself wow. and i remember i was under these strict instructions that if i made it through security not when but if i made it through security mm. i was to um look around the back wall of the terminal to make eye contact with someone then leave through separate doors, meet in the car park, and then we would sort of leave together. Now, it's funny, it sounds like romantic when I say it that way. It's I can a little promise bit James you, Bond, yeah. It was, it was not romantic, I was terrified. Yeah, I but I remember being the last person off this plane and I thought to myself, man, I've, I've never travelled to any kind of um, Middle Eastern country before, mm. um, predominantly Islamic country, never, never been there before. And so I was the last person off the plane, the last one to the gate to immigration, and I remember this staunchly Islamic guard standing there. I passed him my passport and he looked at it and he said, Michelle. And I said, no, Michael. <laughs> and he says, Michelle. And I said, no, 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 Michael. And he's, he sort of pushed or thrust the passport back to me and says, you show me, Michael. And I pointed to my name and he said, Michelle. 
And I was thinking, man, fine, have it your way, Michelle. <laughs> well, what I didn't realise was, you know, being so naive was that the country that I was in was formerly colonised by the French. Right. And so Michelle makes complete sense. Yep. Anyway, I sort of got through that part of it and I, I remember the next part of it was I needed to put my bag on an x-ray machine. There was four or five heavily armed Islamic guards around it and I thought to myself, I am done. Mm. Right? I mean, my bag is brimming with Bibles. They're, they're getting, I'm, I'm, what do I do? I thought, I remember Brother Andrew, the guy that started our ministry. Now, he was well known for praying a prayer called the Smuggler's Prayer. Mm-hmm. So it say, you make blind eyes see, now I need you to make seeing eyes blind. And I thought to myself, man, I've got nothing to lose. I might as well give that give a go. That a right? And so I put my bag on the conveyor. I prayed this whimsical prayer. You know, you make blind eyes see. I need you to make seeing eyes blind. And... The bag went through the x-ray machine. Not a word was said. I picked it up. I began to walk out to the terminal. And right before you got to the sort of electronic doors that would open up and lead to the terminal, there were these two large silver tables. Everyone on either side of the sort of the, the terminal or the pathway out. Everyone was lined up. Every bag was being opened. Every bag was being searched. I thought to myself, I'm done. Now, now this one I cannot get past. Yeah. I felt the Lord say to me in that moment, just walk down the middle. Now, I'm, I'm not someone who would generally um, do that sort of stuff, nor am I someone who gets through airports without being sort of focused on. But I thought, I'll give it a go. I walked straight down the centre, straight out the doors, straight into the terminal. And as I got out into the terminal, I started to look around the back wall and my eyes met the eyes of another guy, <laughs> right? And I thought to myself, look, I guess that's him. So I kind of gave him a nod. Not a wink, a nod. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we were left through separate doors and met up in the car park. And we, we, we jumped into the car, we began to drive out, and, and he talked to me about the fact that the safe house that I was meant to be staying at the night before was compromised by a man locally involved um, or to be known to be involved in terrorism. Wow. And so he said to me, look, it is no longer safe for you to stay at the safe house. Mm. We're going to put you in a hotel downtown but you're on lockdown because of risk of kidnapping for ransom. Wow. He sort of pointed to my brown skin and said, hey, you look okay being in North Africa. Just don't open your mouth. <laughs> Essentially saying, hey, colour, skin tone-wise, you yeah. fit in. Yeah, Accent-wise, accent you don't. <laughs> and so for the next four or five days, I was sort of on lockdown in this hotel. Every time I left, uh, my passport was taken. We were followed by the secret police everywhere we went. I could remember sitting in different cafes and the same people would pop up at each cafe. Yeah, right. And so it was a real tell yeah. that, that we had tales, yeah. right? After four or five days, it was the day we were going to make the drop. Mm-hmm. And so I grabbed the Bibles, I filled my backpack full of them, we left the hotel and we spent, it must have been at least an hour, just driving around in circles trying to lose the tail. Wow. And we, we had to be sure that we weren't being followed. Yeah. We left the city, we drove to an underground church, on the way to the church, and I remember walking to the church, there was this large crater on the ground and, and sort of I found myself standing in the middle of it and looking around and, and the contacts I was with said, hey, a week before you arrived, a suicide bomber had filled a, um, a vest with ball bearings wow. and detonated the bomb where I'm now standing. Wow. And, and just to be honest, the, the sheer destruction one man with some ball bearings can achieve is, is something I will never forget. Yeah. And so we walked from there to, to this innocuous kind of um, compound, slid back the door and went into this secret church. Now, the service, it went for three or four hours. It was largely in Arabic. 
it was one of the most passionate things I've ever seen. I mean, the women are weeping in worship, you know, and, and the worship is loud, it is proud, it is passionate. And um, despite not understanding a word of it, it sounds weird, but I felt every word of it. Yeah. And so it was a beautiful experience. At the end of that service, I remember meeting with people from the church and, and one brother came and said to me, look, can I tell you my testimony? And, and through an Arabic interpreter, he began to tell me his testimony. He was a extremely poor Muslim and totally illiterate, couldn't read a word. He said, one day, God, if you're real, you need to teach me to read. Wow. He said, someone randomly gave him an Arabic Bible. He felt, I felt the Lord say, read Hebrews. And so he flicked through the Bible. And the one book he could read word for word immediately, Joss, was Hebrews. Wow. He said, I finished reading Hebrews and I felt the Lord say, read Timothy. He said, I said, I flicked through the Bible and the one book I could read word for word was Timothy and I couldn't read Hebrews. The Lord basically revealed one book of the Bible to him at a time and through that taught him to read. Mm. Right, And so here I am sitting four hours outside of this capital city in an underground church speaking to a Muslim, an Arabic-speaking Muslim background believer who has talked to me about learning to read by the scriptures being revealed to him in Christ. And then he says to me, oh, and now the Spirit of God fell on me and now I pray in tongues. Wow. Now, a little time out here. I grew up in the Anglican church. Me too. (laughs) um, You know, confirmed. I still am in an Anglican church. But the notion of tongues is something that, it's not that it's been taboo, but it's it has really been foreign, isn't it? Foreign or a bit spooky or a bit, you know, weird. And so I was incredibly sort of like, tongues, okay, how's this going to work? Anyway, this Arabic speaking Muslim background believer begins praying in perfect English. Wow. You know, just, just wow. mind boggling. Okay, he finishes telling me his story. Another brother says, hey, can I tell you my story? Mm-hmm. I said, please. He tells me he was a really rich Muslim. You know, and within Islam comes status, esteem, and all of these other kind of elements. And he said, one day I said, God, if you're real, you need to come and see me. He said, Jesus turned up in his living room, Joss, and they spoke for an hour. He told me how his wife came home from work and he said, I've just met Jesus, we're now Christian. And she says, no way, not a chance. She said, we we could lose our house, our money, you know, worse, we could lose our lives. And he said in a typical North African and direct way, well, you ask Jesus to come and he will come. The next day, he came home from work and there was a letter nailed to a tree in his front yard, literally with a hammer and nail. Mm. He thought, that's strange. He pulled it off the tree, opened it and read it and it said, Dear Jesus, my husband says you will rule and you will come, so please come. Mm. So the next day he came from home from work and his wife was on the kitchen floor sobbing. He said to her, what's wrong? And she said, Jesus was here. We spoke for an hour. We're now Christian. These people were now pastoring an underground church. And about a month before I got there, the major Islamic newspaper in that region got their photo, put it on the front cover with a headline that said, the most dangerous man in this country. Wow. It's basically a death sentence. I said to him, how do you, how do you handle that weight? And he said, I consider it a true joy and privilege to wear that badge of honor for Christ. Wow. At the end of these testimonies, and as we're beginning to leave, I remember I said to my friend, hey, man, we haven't, the Bibles, we've got the Bibles. And kind of like, I don't know, just complacently said, oh, that's right, I forgot about those. And so, you know, here I am expecting my moment this to shine. Your moment, oh, yeah, man, this look, is I, it. This I, is what I, you came for. I've taken these from Australia all the way to London. Now from London into North Africa, 
you know, I've I've risked life and limb yeah. in getting them yeah. through. Um, Hell, like you know, what, lockdown in a, right. in a hotel. Lockdown in a hotel. <laughs> immigration. X-ray machines. I've, yeah. I've I've walked boldly down the middle. I've met the guy in the back of a terminal. Oh, yeah. I've done all of these things to get these Bibles into this country, and now here is my time to shine. To hand them out in public, give them out, get the praise, and show the world that man, I am a courageous Christian, willing to do anything to help you guys. Yeah. And so my friend, he, we, we sort of walk down this labyrinth of stairs into a church office. He opens a metal locker like you'd find in a high school. He <laughs> says, throw him in there. I put him in there. He closes the door and we walk out. Right? <laughs> I can imagine that would have felt fairly like unglamorous after all Underwhelming. you've been through. Yep. <laughs> I remember thinking to myself, like even now I flash back and I, I pause and I think I probably look dazed and confused Yeah, because this was my moment to be the hero. Mm. Like this was it. This was yeah. my chance to say, hey, you know what, man, I've risked life and limb to get you these. And I want to see the joy. I want to see the emotion. I want to receive the praise. Mm. I want to receive the thanks for you bringing them to us. Mm. But you know what is it reflected on that, Joss? Man, that was the perfect way to deliver those Bibles. Yeah. Because the reality is it's not about being the hero, but learning to find courage is heroic. Mm. You know, I wasn't there to be praised, glorified, or honoured. No. This is about Christ. Yeah. It's about serving the people that I'm called to serve. It's about realising that faith is not about glorifying me. It's about honouring God. And it's a long story, and I'm sorry for our listeners, but my hope is... <laughs> I feel like it's a very good story. Yeah, I hope is they get an insight into going, hey, actually, yeah, I think I would have responded the same way. I would have said, hey, can't, don't I get to give these out in public? Don't I get to see people's you know, joy of receiving them and receive their thanks for doing it? And I didn't. And it was the perfect way to deliver them. Yeah, and I think there is something amazing in that kind of just day in, day out type of faith and that journey with Jesus. And, you know, the situations that we find ourselves in are rarely, you know, what we've wanted them to be mm. in our mind, conjured them up to be in our mind of this moment of kind of glory, like you're saying. Um, but it's in those moments that we can find ways of being courageously ordinary Christians. And so what is it like to be a Christian right now, wading through the tensions that we're walking through at the moment, you know, the anxieties that are apparent in our season of um, coming out of lockdown, the debates about vaccines, all of that. There's lots of anxiety about going back to church. There's fear of being excluded from community. You know, the different um, opinions that we have of how to best follow Jesus. Um, so how do we work out our faith and how do we live for Jesus in all of that kind of mess? If you want to be a courageously ordinary Christian, well, the very first step in that is to learn what it means to be visibly Christian. It's to stand in the face of culture or in the mess and shine as brightly as you can for Jesus. I mean, in Ephesians 4 and verse 1, Paul wrote, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Again, in my time at Open Doors, there have been certain people that have profoundly impacted my walk. I mean, the story from North Africa was the beginning of that journey, the undoing of all of the kind of elitism around my Western view of faith. Mm. But tip one about visibility and being openly proud and public about faith, it was most learned from me by a girl called Susan in Uganda. Susan was 14 years old from a staunchly Islamic family. Her father was a high-ranking police officer. And one day, Susan went to school. And at school, a visiting preacher came and spoke about Jesus. The end of that, like most kind of school um, preachers or pastors do, they gave an altar call and asked people to respond. Mm. And Susan put a hand up. She gave her life to Christ that day. 
She went home and she told her father. Her father was furious. In fact, he grabbed Susan and her younger brother. He dragged them out the front of their house. He called all of the neighbours. He held a knife to her throat and said to Susan, if you do not renounce Christ, I'm going to kill you and your brother. He dragged Susan back into the home. He took her into a room in the house. He placed a mat made of banana leaf on the floor. He forced Susan to her knees and said, you sit on that mat and do not move until you're willing to deny Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. Her father left the room, closed the door, locked it. Susan's dad didn't return to that room, Joss, for three months. Three months. In fact, the only way she survived was that when her father was out, her younger brother would dig a hole under the door in the dirt floor. Mm. He would pour water into it for her to lap up like a cat and on occasion when he had time, would fry up some banana and slide that under the door for her to eat. After three months, the neighbours asked her brother, where's Susan? He told them. They called the police. The police came and they opened the door and there she was, sitting on the mat. Mm. In fact, her hair had turned yellow because of a lack of sunlight and nutrients. Um, She weighed 20 kilos. But more than that, the bones in her legs had grown and conformed to the way she had been sitting. She had never left the mat. They rushed her to hospitals where open doors bumped into her. I'm sure you can imagine one of the first questions we asked, which was, well, Susan, why didn't you try and escape? Mm. And she said, because my father said, if I was to leave that mat, I'd be denying Jesus. And I could never do that. A 14-year-old girl. Mm, You talk about being visibly Christian. Yeah. As an organisation, we helped rehabilitate her. We had to re-break her legs in order to reset them. This is a girl of 14, is one of the most visibly courageous Christians I've ever known. And when we asked her, well, Susan, what can we pray for? Her response was, I want you to pray that my father would become a Christian. I mean, you talk about courage. You talk about visibility. She is someone who has profoundly impacted my viewpoint of what it means to be a visibly Christian person. The second is to be vocally Christian, to be willing to speak up and speak out about injustice, about faith, about life, about culture. And the thing is, Mike, we all have a reputation and we all have character and the choice that we have in shaping both of those, it's it's ours to make. It's not somebody else's. And, you know, I think you and I have both seen how our character is revealed, not only in the great moments of life, but it's built in the hard moments and in the everyday mundane moments. Uh, since we were talking about Paul and his writings earlier, in Romans ten nine, he writes that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I've heard you say this before, but I remember the first time I heard it and it blew my mind that Paul never actually met Jesus in the flesh. That is just, you're going to, a mind bender when you think he is an absolute prolific writer throughout the Bible. Um, And so it's not until we read scripture like this and you think, well, yeah, it's easy for you to say, Paul, like you walked with Jesus. He actually only ever had the same experience of Jesus as we do, the same exposure. He never ate with him, sat down with him, chatted with him. He only ever had the same interaction with Jesus as we did. It's what I love about the Bible, Joss, is that if we look at it for what it is, the predominant most part of the New Testament was written by someone who has had exactly the same exposure to Jesus as you or I. It's it's incredibly encouraging, I think, because, you know, we 
can often look at people in the Bible and think that they've had this absolutely different experience mm. and, you know, a much mo- maybe more intimate experience with, um, with God and with Jesus than us, but that's not actually the case. And you, you, like one of the things I love to do is to ask, well, for what purpose was mm. that? For mm. what purpose? You know, whether it's leadership, life, business, faith, whatever it might be, for what purpose is the fact that the most prolific writer of the New Testament has had exactly the same exposure to Jesus as you and I? Mm. I think the purpose is profound yeah. because it allows us to understand what it means to follow Jesus when you have never met him personally. Yeah, totally. And so it's one part inspiring, it's one part convicting because what I notice in the way Paul writes is that he has a vastly different understanding and proximity mm. and love for Christ than I have. Mm. Right? And so what it does is it drives me to want to know more about Jesus. A friend once told me, Joss, that one of the most important questions we need to ask ourselves every day as Christians is, Am I willing to live for Christ today? Because it can be often easier to die for Christ than it is live for him. It actually reminds me of a letter we have painted on our wall downstairs at the Open Doors office. It was from a young Rwandan pastor killed in 1980 when his tribe forced him to either renounce Christ or be killed. He refused to renounce Christ and was killed on the spot. The night before his death, this young pastor wrote a letter titled The Fellowship of the Unashamed was found in his room following his death and a handwritten copy of which was given to a personal friend of mine. It reads as follows. I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his and I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm done and finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colourless dreams, tame divisions, mundane talking, cheap living and dwarf goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits or popularity. I don't have to be right or first or tops or recognised or praised or rewarded because I live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by patience, lift by prayer and labour my Holy Spirit power. My face is set, my gate is fast, and my goal is heaven. My road it may be narrow, my way rough, my companions few, but my guide is reliable and my purpose is clear. I will not be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice or hesitate in the presence of the adversary. I will not negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, or let up until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Christ, because I am a disciple of Jesus. I must give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until he comes. And when he does come for his own, he'll have no problems recognising me. My colours will be clear and my purpose complete. This is your producer, Beth Westwood, and I just want to interrupt today's episode to say, We know it's been a hard year, and at Open Doors, we want to make this Christmas about hope. Gifts of Hope are the perfect gift-giving solution for those of you who want to give something meaningful this Christmas. For each gift of hope you choose, you'll receive a beautiful card to give your family and friends, as well as making an impact for the persecuted church worldwide. You could choose to give the gift of healthcare for Christians suffering from persecution and the pandemic, or give a microloan in the form of a cow and help persecuted families become self-sufficient 
mission. You could even give a survival pack to a secret North Korean believer. Go to opendoors.org.au or opendoors.org.nz, choose a gift, receive a card for your loved one and help the persecuted church. Let's make this Christmas about hope. Now let's get back to today's episode where we're learning how to be a courageously ordinary Christian. So far on this episode, Josh, we've kind of walked through my life's unlearning or unraveling <laughs> of this ego-driven faith. You know, we've learned that you need to be visibly Christian. You need to be vocally Christian. That it's not about being the hero, but it is about being heroic. Mm. And sort of all along that journey, there have been these different stories, whether it's Susan, whether it's the Fellowship of the Unashamed. The third tip to bringing a courageously ordinary Christian, Joss, is to be valiantly Christian. But when it comes to being valiantly Christian, the story that's probably impacted me the most is the story of a girl called Fatima from Saudi Arabia. Now, she was, again, someone from a staunchly Islamic family. She was a passionate blogger. She would blog under the alias Arania, which means contented. But now, within her culture and her family, the notion of converting to Christianity, I mean, it was it was horrific. It was insulting. It was shaming. Mm. And in Saudi Arabia as well, that's an incredibly difficult place. Punishable by death in many ways. Yeah. And so what happened was with Fatima was that she basically began sharing these stories online and she incurred abuse like you wouldn't believe. I mean, from other Saudis that would just tear her to shreds. I mean, we could post it maybe, um, Beth, in in the the notes, some of her writings Mm -hmm. because they're incredible. They're they're saturated in grace, but their responses are full of brutality. I mean, Mm -hmm. if I had a sword, I'll kill you twice. I mean, all of these things, you're shameful to all Saudis, all of this stuff. I mean, a young girl who's blogging about Christ. But what happened with Fatima was that one day her brother had snuck into her room and her desktop photo at the time was a photo of the cross and her writings were on her computer. He found them and he was furious. In fact, Fatima came back and saw that her brother was sitting at her laptop and he was very angry. He sort of stormed out of the room. She jumped online and she wrote a blog to all of her followers saying, I'm in deep trouble, big trouble, and asked them to pray for her. It was soon after this that Fatima's brother returned to her room and horrifically he burnt her face, he burnt her back, He cut out her tongue and he killed her, her own brother. Mm -hmm. But as I read Fatima's stories, one of the verses that stood out was, I am unto death a Christian. You know, her passion to share the gospel with Saudi people, to see them come into a relationship with Christ. I mean, here is a young girl who, there is no other way of describing it than being one of the most valiantly Christian people I have ever met. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's the three tips to being a courageously ordinary Christian, Joss, is to be visibly Christian, to be vocally Christian, to be valiantly Christian. Because again, like we've sort of touched on several times in this podcast, is it's not about being the hero. Mm. You know, in fact, those three elements, they're not going to make you the hero, but they will make you heroic. Well, what I love about those elements is that, you know, you're talking about a blogger, Many of us post online every day, but that was her expression of boldness and courage. And, you know, it's actually a very ordinary thing to do. The same with the pastor's letter. It's his, that's his journal entry. Mm. They're mm. not, um, you know, these believers have not set out to be courageous heroes. 
but they are absolutely courageously heroic in their mm. own right. And that's what I, you know, absolutely love. And as we wrap up today's episode, I hope that's encouraged you that, you know, these stories, they are incredibly powerful um, and intense, but they're just ordinary people who absolutely love the Lord and are trying to figure out the best way to follow Jesus. And it is actually a very ordinary walk. But with Jesus, we find courage and we find hope and we find that passion and that zest for life. And so when everything in culture is trying to tell you to be the hero, I hope today has encouraged you to say, hey, it's not about being the hero. It is about being heroic. And the best way we can do that as Christians, whether you're in Australia or the persecuted church, whether you're in North America or in South America or anywhere in the world, it is to understand what it means to be visibly Christian, to be vocally Christian, and to be valiantly Christian. Again, we wish you all the best for this year. Thank you so much for following us along. Merry Christmas from us. It's a little (laughs) bit early, but Merry Christmas from us. We look forward to journeying with you again in 2022. Um, We are so, so just wrapped that you'll be part of what we do. And God bless you guys. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast with your hosts, Mike Gore and Jocelyn Gotto. To find out more, head to opendoors.org.au or opendoors.org.nz. I'm your producer, Beth, and we'll catch you next month for another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast.